Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Today's message is not intended for little ears. We'll be discussing some adult themes, and I want you to be aware before you listen to this message. I'm thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Cornerstone Pelvic Health and Wellness. To find out more, visit them online at cornerstonepelvichealth.com. Our guest today is physical therapist, Tracy Legrand. Tracy specializes in the treatment of pelvic floor issues, and she's going to share some sexual education, especially as it relates to the pelvic floor. Tracy's practice is in Lexington, Kentucky, but even if you're not local, she has a wonderful referral network if you would like to follow up for further care. I hope you find our talk to be beneficial today. Hi, Tracy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you just start by giving us a snapshot of who you are and what you like to do? Sure. I am a board-certified clinical specialist with a specialty in treating pelvic floor issues in women's health physical therapy. I'm very passionate about it. I've been married for 21 years, and I have two boys, ages 10 and 6. The name of my practice is Cornerstone Pelvic Health and Wellness in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, thank you. Can you explain where and what the pelvic floor is? Sure. So the pelvic floor muscles, basically you can think of them as a hammock or a sling. They attach from your pubic bone in the front and they go all the way back to your tailbone or your coccyx in the back. There's actually three layers of muscle that make up your pelvic floor. Your pelvic floor muscles have three very important functions. First of all, they are supportive. They are helping to support your bladder, your uterus for females. They're helping to support your colon, your rectum. They're giving you that support. They are very important in the sexual function. So your pelvic floor muscles are actually the muscles that allow you to reach orgasms. Those muscles that are contracting very quickly during the moment of orgasm. And then also they help maintain continence. Continence is being able to hold back urine, to be able to hold back poop. When you get the urge to urinate and say your bladder's really full, but maybe you're all the way across Walmart and you're going to have ways to get to the bathroom, you want really good pelvic floor muscles to hold tension so that you're able to hold back that urgency to urinate or to defecate and allow you to get to the bathroom on time. So those are very important functions. And then also your pelvic floor is part of your core. Everyone kind of thinks the core is just the abdominal muscles, but I teach my patients that your core is everything, really from your diaphragm down to your pelvic floor and everything in between. There's a system of muscles that were designed to work in a very coordinated way. With your diaphragm, your pelvic floor, and your abdominal muscles to help give you good postural stability, postural control. And that's during, you know, even just basic activities, lifting, picking your kids up, pushing, pulling. Like those muscles are very active to help give you that support and control you need during those types of activities. How does the pelvic floor affect our enjoyment of sexual intimacy? 
the pelvic floor is a very important part of your enjoyment of sexual intimacy. Those muscles are involved in all the different phases of the sexual response cycle. So basically, the sexual response cycle is broken down into four phases. So the phases are the excitement, the plateau, the orgasm, and the resolution. So basically, the excitement, the arousal phase, like everyone can identify with that. You know, that's when you're getting aroused, you're kind of getting into the the lovemaking, the foreplay, that type of sexual activity. And so during that phase, what's happening, you've got three different layers of your pelvic floor muscles. The superficial layer, there's three little muscles that are involved in that. And there's they're kind of some big words, but you've got what's called your bulbospongiosis, your ischiocavernosis, and then the deeper pubococcygeus muscles. But basically during that arousal phase, right, when everything is feeling good, you've got lots of blood flow coming into the pelvic area. And this is for men and for women. And as the blood is kind of coming into that area, those muscles contract in order to hold the blood into the erectile tissues. So for men, this is pretty obvious. This is during their erection. And so the blood and then those muscles contracting help the man maintain the erection. But for the female, and a lot of women may not realize that we're actually also getting swelling and basically an erection of our clitoris and then of the labia, particularly the labia minora. A lot of women don't realize that their clitoris, what we see on the outside of our body is just like the tip of the iceberg. Our clitoris, the full clitoris, which most of it is hidden underneath our muscles and our tissues, it is basically analogous and looks just like the penis. So it's quite interesting. During that excitement and arousal phase, those muscles are helping to keep the blood and help those tissues maintain that erection. Then the plateau phase of building up that excitement and everything is kind of peaking. And so those pelvic floor muscles further increase in their tension because that's preparing the male and the female for orgasm. So there's that building, that building, that building of tension and pleasure. And then the third phase of the sexual response cycle is the orgasm. And what's happening during orgasm for both men and women is that you're having rapid muscle contractions, primarily of the those superficial pelvic floor muscles, but also of that deeper pubococcygeus muscle. And what has been found is that for the male orgasm, it usually lasts about 10 to 30 seconds. And during that time, you are getting like these intense (laughs) pelvic floor contractions that's happening. A female orgasm can last between 13 and 51 seconds. So that's a lot of time that your muscles are really pumping and contracting. And so it's very important for those muscles to be able to be strong enough to respond in that way. And unfortunately, some of the patients that I treat, especially like the postmenopausal women, as we age, we all lose muscle strength and tone in lots of different muscles of our body. But primarily as women go through menopause and they lose estrogen, that impacts their pelvic floor muscles, they lose muscle tone. A lot of times, that age group will come in and their complaint will be 
I can't reach orgasm or I almost get there but I can't quite get there or it's not as strong or my sensation has changed in the tone of the pelvic floor muscles and then they're not able to feel those same sensations and it definitely limits their sexual function. So you want good functioning pelvic floor muscles so that you can experience orgasm. And then sometimes even just talking about orgasm, that's something that I also have to often educate my patients on, both men and women, to be honest, especially when my female clients bring their male partners in. Because female orgasm, there's just so much misunderstanding and just really not good education. I think women are made to think that they should respond in the same way as their male partner. And that's just not the case. So a lot of times part of what I do is just educate my males and my females on what is normal sexual response and how does that happen best for a female and those types of things. Well, and would you mind elaborating on that? A few things that you would educate your clients on. First of all, for most females to achieve orgasm, they need direct manual stimulation to the clitoris. The clitoris is basically the penis for the male. And a lot of times I'll give the example, you wouldn't just stimulate a male's scrotum and that may feel pleasurable to him in the beginning and that might help with his arousal, but that's not going to help him lead to orgasm and ejaculation, right? That's just not where it's at. So he has to have direct stimulation to the penis. So it's the same thing for the female. Like you look at the female clitoris and take it outside of the body, the majority of the clitoris is hidden. It looks just like the penis. So the female, that's where it's at for her. Everybody's worried about the G-spot and they don't even really know if the G-spot actually exists. And really what we need to be focusing on is stimulation to the clitoris. And you would think in the age that we live in, it seems like we are sexually saturated. There's so much in our culture about sex and all those things. But I still find that a lot of my female clients just really don't understand their anatomy. So when they're not achieving orgasm with vaginal penetration alone, they think that something's wrong with them. So when you break it down and start talking about, okay, well, what's your foreplay look like? Are you getting direct stimulation to the clitoris? Are you allowing for that, whether it's manually or you're changing your position so that you can get that stimulation? It's like changing for them. And even for males, you know, I've had to educate couples. I had a couple come in. The spouse always came with her. He was just wonderful. But I was educating them. I got my pelvic floor model out. I was like, okay, here's the clitoris. The clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings on the end. So God knew what he was doing when he created the female body. But you've got to get stimulation to the clitoris. And he was like, oh, well, I just thought that every time I was inserting my penis into her vagina, that that was all that was needed for her. I thought that was her pleasure. So there's just a lot of people who just need to have good information. And unfortunately, there's also this culture of pornography, which is 
sad, for one thing, because it portrays female sexuality in a way, you know, men are thinking that females should respond like what they're seeing, and that's not even normal. And on the flip side, now that we've talked about the pleasure, what symptoms do people experience when their pelvic floor is causing them pain in sexual intercourse? That can present differently with a variety of symptoms, but when women come in and their complaint is of pain with intercourse, a lot of times I will get descriptions like, it feels like my partner is hitting a wall when he tries to penetrate, or we can't tolerate penetration, like he can only get so far in, and then, you know, the muscles are so tight, there's so much pressure, Sometimes there can be issues right at the entrance. There's a lot of nerve endings, and sometimes that area can become hypersensitive. So even just light touch or friction across basically like the entrance of the vagina can become hypersensitive. Those issues often are classified as vulvodynia or vestibulodynia. You'll see it, different terminology now in the literature. I think they're still trying to figure out what's the best (laughs) term for that, but that's more of like burning or sharp stinging with that superficial penetration at the opening. And then pain that can happen like after going through vaginal birth and delivery, if there was tearing, if there were stitches, if there was an episiotomy, then sometimes there can be scar tissue that has basically lost some of its pliability. So it's just not, it doesn't give as easily. So then when a female resumes sexual intercourse after having a baby and vaginal delivery, then that can cause pain. Postmenopausal women sometimes, because they have vaginal atrophy, they can develop pain because their muscles and tissues have lost elasticity. So things are not stretching like they should. They've lost vaginal tone, and that can also be a source of pain. Another thing, I've started treating women like after cancer treatment. So that's another category where, depending on what type of treatment they had, if they had radiation, that can also change the pelvic floor and cause atrophy and also cause a loss of elasticity. So there's a lot of different reasons for pain during intercourse, and it can present in a lot of different ways. Well, thank you for unpacking such a complex issue because... So many women, after they give birth and they are experiencing this pain, sometimes their doctors will tell them, well, you just need to use lubrication. Right. But it sounds like there could be a lot more that they could do and make it better. Is that right? That is absolutely right. I mean, definitely with the treatments that I do in just retraining their pelvic floor muscles and teaching them proper coordination, because a lot of times what I find is that there becomes this cycle of pain, whether they have pain the first time they attempt intercourse or it's a secondary, you know, maybe it's after pregnancy delivery. But then our brains are really good at protecting ourselves from pain. So naturally, if they've had a situation where they've experienced pain with intercourse, then the next time that they attempt it again, it's like, oh, they're anticipating that pain. And then their muscles go into a guarded state to protect them from pain. But then it just becomes this vicious cycle. 
you know, there's pain, there's anticipation of pain, there's fear of pain, and then the muscles respond in a way that then they're holding a lot of tension in those muscles, and they really just have to start, first of all, relearning how to relax and even just understanding proper coordination of those muscles. So those are some of the things that I do during treatment. Also just self-stretching techniques with devices. Sometimes they're called vaginal dilators, vaginal trainers. They're just devices that can be used to stretch the muscles gradually. I often describe it as if you come in with a tight neck muscle or hamstring muscle, you know, I'm going to give you stretches to improve the flexibility of those muscles. It's the same thing with the pelvic floor, and I can teach you specific ways to gradually stretch those muscles with these types of devices to improve that elasticity. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Friends, I'm excited to share today's sponsor with you, Cornerstone Pelvic Health and Wellness. Cornerstone Pelvic Health and Wellness is located in the Central Kentucky region and owned and operated by Tracy Legrand, a board-certified clinical specialist in women's health physical therapy and our special guest on today's episode of The Savvy Sauce. Tracy has spent over 20 years of practice helping both women and men find hope and healing from what can be very debilitating pelvic health issues. Did you know that one in four women suffer from a pelvic floor disorder? Pelvic floor disorders can include urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, pelvic pain, painful sex, pelvic organ prolapse, and types of constipation. In regards to today's Savvy Sauce topic, it's been found that 43% of women continue to experience sexual pain for six months into the postpartum period, and 23% continue to experience painful sex at 18 months postpartum. It's time that women are educated and know that they do not have to live with these conditions, and there is treatment available to help achieve their goals for a fulfilling and healthy life as a mom, wife, and whatever roles they have been afforded. Now, obviously, not all of our listeners are located in Kentucky, and not all of them will be able to travel to Cornerstone Pelvic Health and Wellness, but there are passionate pelvic health therapists located in every state. A good place to start in your search would be aptapelvichealth.org and click on the Find a PT in the top right-hand corner. If you have any other questions, make sure you visit cornerstonepelvichealth.com or send Tracy an email. Thanks for your sponsorship. It seems that in this field, sexual issues often are misdiagnosed. Do you have any stories or examples of people that have discovered pelvic floor sexual pain and came to you for help? So one of the most memorable couples that I've worked with in recent years, when they came to me, they had been married about almost 30 years They had waited to have intercourse until they were married, and basically on their honeymoon, figured out that there were problems. There was a lot of pain with attempted penetration, kind of the description that I said before, hitting a wall, not able to penetrate past that wall, very painful at the vaginal opening. And so they just continued in this cycle. But I think that they went to a few other physicians to ask for help to figure out what was wrong and unfortunately really weren't 
given a lot of good information, use more lubrication or need to relax more, those types of things really got nowhere. So this couple just lost hope. They were very devoted to one another, very strong in their faith. Obviously, that was a huge area of tension in their marriage. And the spouse came to every treatment session. I just love this couple. And their first appointment, he said, I can count on my hand the number of times that we have been able to have intercourse. And all of those times were extremely painful for her. And by God's grace, like two of those times, they actually conceived. <laughs> so they had two grown children at this point. But they had just kind of put that part of their marriage on the back burner. Actually, she wrote an amazing blog after she went through treatment. She tells her story so much better than I ever could and with a lot of detail. And it's an amazing story of just the struggles that they went through and how they dealt with that and how that impacted them both emotionally and physically and spiritually and how they lived their life for 30 years of marriage not being able to be sexually intimate. So basically how they ended up in my office, they went to another gynecologist and I guess shared with her the pain with intercourse and actually it was a midwife and the midwife referred them. It's like, you really need to go see this physical therapist. I really think that she can help you and you really owe it to yourselves to give this a try. And I mean, at that point they're thinking, okay, really, this is 30 years. We've tried other things. Nothing has helped. So they finally get to my office and I went through the treatments with them. We did biofeedback, retraining her muscles, teaching her how to relax. I worked with her on how to do some progressive stretching with the dilators. And her husband was such a huge part of the treatment because he came to every session and he was saying, I, I think that that's for me when the spouse or the partner can come and I'm able to hook them up to my biofeedback and show them, okay, she's lying on the table. She obviously is not trying to tense her muscles, but look how much muscle activity is going on so they can see, oh my goodness, these muscles are really in spasm. And then teaching her how to go through the progressive relaxation with the dilators and the stretching. And then as she gets comfortable getting the spouse and the partner involved in that process. And I spent a lot of time doing sexual education with them and talking to them about, okay, what's normal female sexual response and how the female most likely reaches orgasm and what has to happen with that. And I can't remember how long we worked together, but considering that they had had this problem for 30 years, it really didn't take more than maybe just three to four months. And then they were able to have pain-free intercourse. And I just came back in and was like, yeah, we did it, you know, and I love that. That's part of what I get to do is just celebrate with people. When when my patients send me an email, I had pain-free intercourse the first time. I recently had a patient and she sent me a message with a picture of her ultrasound of their baby. And I felt so honored because I was like one of the first people that she told. And, and she's like, we're pregnant. And I didn't think I ever was going to be able to 
be at this place because she too was like this other couple but didn't let it go as long as this other couple but could not have intercourse when she was newly married and it was a struggle and, and pain and so when I see those success stories wow what amazing hope to think this is something that I just had to completely block off like we're just gonna have to figure out how to have a intimate relationship but not include sex which is a very important part of any intimate relationship so I can say to my patients it's a process and some people respond quicker some others it just takes some more time to get the emotional aspect worked out and definitely that's when I refer to uh, local therapists and sex therapists but usually it is a process that I can really see such positive changes in even with long-standing issues like the couple who you know had been married almost 30 years without being able to have intercourse. That is simply incredible. And I think we're all just celebrating with that couple right now and how special that you got to be a part well, of that. special, but I just feel blessed and honored that my faith is also very important to me. And I do feel like what I do is a calling, is a ministry. I remember as a young lady, I knew I wanted to be a physical therapist, but I also wanted to do ministry. And I'm in awe a lot of times just how I'm able to just minister to people when they are hurting and when they have lost hope. And I feel like God created intimacy. He's the one who gave us that capacity, and it's such an amazing gift. And so to be able to help people recover that gift, and then when that gift also leads to life, when patients are able to go on and conceive life and children, I'm just grateful that he allows me to be a part of people's lives in such an amazing way. I've always been moved by the story in Mark 5, and it talks about the woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So obviously, for what I do as a pelvic health therapist, I'm like, wow, you know, what was her condition? Was it endometriosis? Did she have these major fibroids? What was causing her to bleed for 12 years? And the fact the Bible is even talking about that condition. If you think about in that culture, she was an outcast. You were considered unclean. When you were on your period, you couldn't be around people, you were unclean, you were not pure, you couldn't go worship. So when women were on their periods, basically they were just socially disconnected. So this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. And I think what strikes me about that story, it says that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had but instead of getting better, she grew worse. And that part of the story has always just 
stood out to me because that is a common theme. And not that these women are out here being taken by doctors, but a lot of times it takes them six to eight years to get to the right position, to even listen to them and to feel like they are being heard or to point them in the right direction. So I just feel like I can relate to this story. And then, you know, she was desperate. And if you know the story, it talks about Jesus was in a crowd and she knew about him healing people. She had heard of his miraculous healing and she was so desperate that number one she was out in public when she probably wasn't supposed to be because she's bleeding but she's so desperate that she just tries to just touch the hem of his robe that maybe some of that healing power and it did but then the fact that he stopped and he could have gone on and there were so many people he couldn't have known who had touched him but he knew that power had gone out from him to heal this lady and he stopped and he wanted to figure out he's like who touched my clothes and he approached this lady in such a compassionate way you know she's trembling with fear he's not even supposed to be talking to her in that culture it wasn't even appropriate for a man to be addressing a female at that time but he addresses her as daughter go in peace and be freed from your suffering and i love that story because I feel like, number one, it connects to a lot of what my other patients are feeling, just that desperation and hopelessness. Is there anybody who can help me? Is there anything that can be done? And I'm just in awe that I get to help so many find that hope and do it, whether I verbally express my faith or not, in the same spirit and the compassion that Jesus showed to this woman love that. I've never thought of that scripture before in that way. That's amazing. How did you find out about the Savvy Sauce? Did someone share this podcast with you? Hopefully you've been blessed through the content and now we would love to invite each of you to share these episodes with friends and help us spread the word about the Savvy Sauce. You can share today's episode or go back and choose any one of your other previous favorites to share. Thanks for helping us out. And for someone who is experiencing sexual pain, what encouragement do you have for them today? I would say don't give up. Find someone. If you are listening and you're like, this is me, I am hopeless, I don't know where else to go, or I'm embarrassed. Unfortunately, after experiencing those types of issues, especially for the female, there can be shame that is felt. And so what I would say is, stop. You can get help. Contact me. I will try to find you someone who is close to where you are. Sometimes it can be scary. These are sensitive issues and there's a lot of emotion, but believe that there is something that can help you get better. I see it every day and it hurts me when I have people who know what I do and They privately tell me, oh, yes, my sister-in-law or my aunt or my friend deals with this. She's never been able to have sex, and it's such a strain on her marriage and their emotions and all that. And it just really hurts me because I'm like, they can get help. I don't want anyone to live feeling like this is just what they have to live with because that's just, it's not true. For those listening, even if you're not local to Lexington, Kentucky, Can you tell them where they can contact you for further information? 
So you can look me up. I've got a website, cornerstonepelvichealth.com. And that has contact information on that website. I have a Facebook page, Cornerstone Pelvic Health and Wellness. If you email me, I usually respond to all of my emails within 24 to 48 hours. So absolutely, email me, contact me, and I will do my best to answer questions or at least put you in contact with the right people who can help you in your area. Perfect. Well, we are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy can be defined as practical knowledge or insight, and we would love to hear your unique tips. So as our final question today, Tracy, what is your Savvy Sauce? Well, this is something easy that everybody can do. So every day on my way to work, and I have been doing this now for years, I pray a very specific verse. And I work with my hands, so God allows me to use my hands to help people and to work on people. So I pray Psalm 9017, and it says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And That's just the simple thing that I do. If I don't know anything else to pray, it's like, Lord, would you please establish the work of my hands today for the people who are coming into my office? And I think that can go with anybody because we all work with our hands or we do some type of work that is part of our lives. And I just can't tell you how much that simple prayer of just please establish the work of my hands today has been answered time and time and time again. And it is just a habit. You can call it a spiritual discipline or whatever, but it is something that is very important to me (laughs) that I do every single day. And I think that those simple habits can produce fruit and productiveness in our lives and help us kind of ground ourselves. And so that is, I guess, my savvy sauce for today. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing about these important topics. You are great at communicating, and I'm just very grateful that you were generous with your time and your knowledge today. So thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you very much. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says, 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.